Okay. On these Wednesday nights, we're going to start a series called Effective Kingdom Prayer. Effective Kingdom Prayer Series. And tonight, I just want to give us an introduction, including all the titles and topics, at least touching on them. What I hope, by the grace of God, this will be is a series that no matter if you came out of a more traditional, uh, say, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran faith, uh, more evangelical, more Reformed faith, whatever, uh, there questions you may have had on prayer will be addressed. And we're going to try to be as, I'm going to try to talk about a lot of subjects that have to do with prayer. I doubt there's any such thing as a comprehensive uh you know, series on prayer, that would probably be impossible, but I want to be pretty thorough. Now, um, as you know, I normally like to have a theme verse that we follow through a series, and this time I'm actually going to have two theme verses and two quotes, uh, because we're going to try to combine an idea from each of these theme verses throughout the whole series. The first theme verse is Matthew 6.10, in what I call the Lord's Prayer model, uh, with this theme verse is also the theme verse for our Kingdom of God series, and I intend this to be a spinoff from the Kingdom of God series. Uh, if you understand the things of the Kingdom of God series, then how should we as a church body pray in light of the Kingdom of God? Um, and Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, interestingly, uh, my three favorite translations to con- to consult, NASB, ESV, and New King James, all read exactly the same on that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we want to be uh, thinking about is how do we pray in the kingdom of God? How do we, how do we pray in according to God's will? And how do we how do we participate in God's eternal plan to bring the temple, the sanctuary, the city of heaven into the earth? That was always God's plan. That was His plan from all eternity. Uh, he first uh, created around Himself His eter- His eternal nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being. He created around himself a city, a temple, a sanctuary, and he and he filled it full of cherubim and angels and and so forth. And they uh, uh, manifested his glory, and, and his glory filled the temple. And then he designed the earth to have that goal in mind, to bring about a transference of the perfect tabernacle of heaven into the earth and to work into the earth until the entire earth became the perfect tabernacle of heaven uh, modeled or repeated. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, and that is exactly what we are supposed to have as our goal uh, and mission statement if if we are the followers of Jesus Christ. James, our Lord's brother, and James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's the new, the new American Standard or NASB version. 
The New King James adds, adds the effectant fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Um, the complete Jewish Bible reads, Therefore, openly acknowledge your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if we've been, uh, one of the things that I like to stress over and over is what I call the law of the reverse negative. If you want to get uh, more comprehension out of reading, always read what it's not saying as well. So again, when uh, the commandment says thou shalt not kill, we know two facts from that. One is that people kill, and two is that God values life. That is, God didn't intend for people to kill, and that people killing people is an offense against God's nature and his purposes in creation. So likewise, if this says that a, the prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, or the, if he calls uh, his prayer effective and powerful, that means there are ineffective prayers. There are prayer meetings that are just prayer meetings, and there are prayer meetings that are powerfully affecting supernatural beings, eternal destinies of human beings, uh, what's happening in families, reconciliation in marriages, and so forth. There's a, there's a way to pray powerfully and effectively. And this is not something that you just meander into. This is one of the many reasons why we need to thoroughly study our Bible, because a big part of learning how to pray effectively is learning how to uh, pray according to what, how Scripture teaches us to pray. So I hope we all have that. So what we're combining is praying in the kingdom, eternal purposes of God to fill the earth with his glory, which if we all know that a stepping stone toward that is, is a restored church model and a rest, restored families and restored individuals that have been discipled into real Christian maturity. Uh, those are all stepping stones to, to everything being restored. So moving on to quote number one. This is a quote you hear quite a bit about prayer. When all is said and done regarding prayer, there is often more said than done. Sometimes you hear that in a more definitive way, like regarding prayer, when all is said and done, there's more said than done. I uh, put some qualifiers under there, like often, just to be gracious. I don't know who said that originally, but it's a popular saying. So I put author unknown. Uh, quote number two, prayer, I want to define prayer for us here. Quote number two, prayer is a, is a dynamic interplay between God and us whereby his redemptive kingdom purposes are birthed and established. Now let's break that down a little bit. Prayer is a dynamic interplay. That means it's communication two ways. It's not just us giving God a laundry list of what we want him to do. If we have a prayer where God doesn't speak to us, in us, through us, and so forth, then we really haven't had biblical or productive or effective prayer in any way. Right? So the dynamic interplay between God and us 
whereby his redemptive purposes, we're going to be talking about, uh, as we go on in chapter one, we're going to look at what is God's will. I'm going to jump ahead and just say, you know what? God's will, people are always like, oh my God. People put a lot of unbelief at the end of their prayers by saying, Lord, if it would be your will. God's will is to save, redeem, reconcile, heal, restore. God desires to fill the earth with his glory. And a stepping stone to that is to restore human beings and the family of humanity to be his family, living his way by his spirit, according to his laws and his character, in such a way that they show forth his glory. So it is God's will to pray for people to come to Christ. It's God's will to pray for reconciliation. It's God's will to pray for healing. It's God's will to pray for deliverance. The the word salvation means deliverance. And Jesus demonstrated any gospel that doesn't cast out demons and heal the sick is not a gospel at all if you read the gospels. It's amazing how much... uh, the church moved after the Civil War to this idea that the gospel is presented in the epistles and not in the gospels. And they're like, Jesus was kind of light on the gospels. Paul explains the gospel or something. That That is just craziness. The reason they were called the gospels is because Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. He came to proclaim good news to the afflicted, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, and and declare the favorable year of the Lord. That is that grace is here and now, and the kingdom is here and now. He came to deliver us from evil. As First John says, he came to destroy the works of the devil. One of the ways you can eat, that's a, a barometer you can use in individual lives and corporate lives that is a, a, a fellowship, is in a fellowship or church, are the works of the devil being destroyed in people's lives? In your own life, can you say, gee, all the, all the things that's the brokenness and the inner pain and the, and the spiritual confusion and the pride, all the things that sin and, and demonic spirits have brought into my life, have I been set free from them? Am I progressively becoming like Christ, walking in the Spirit of God, full, full of Christ-likeness? Or am I still bound by whatever the works of the devil in my life were? Fears, ambition, selfish ambitions, lust, thing, things that drive, you know, I always say a man with a demon is a man with a motivation that's not from Christ. Are, are we progressing in our motivations and attitudes reflecting the king of the kingdom? And are we becoming King Jesus-like? So uh, God's pur- purposes are actually birth, that is, they're initiated, and they grow and develop and are established. Now, the, the church has not had a very militant view of Christianity in the last century or so. But, you know, remember there were old songs like Onward Christian Soldiers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, those, most, most of you are too young to remember that, maybe. But, um, the, you know, the whole idea is, is that God came to have a family, a city, a community that was also 
an army, and it's an army of liberation. If you if 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 people could see the real thing that what Jesus is doing by the power of his spirit through his church, it ought to Sunday mornings ought to look like those scenes in World War II when the American soldiers are running are coming into French cities and they know they're not going to see the Germans anymore. That's really what happens when you get born again and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're delivered from demons and so forth. Your Pharaoh and his armies were washed up on the, you know, and, and drowned in the sea. That means the tormentor is, is going to be gone. So, um, we, we want to pursue a kind of prayer that sets the captives free, that establishes God's purposes, that builds a people uh, full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we're all on board. So let's, uh, let's look at the, some of the series titles and topics. There's going to be nine chapters in an appendix, but each chapter is going to be several weeks and several topics. And I'm just going to try to give us an overview of them as much as I can tonight. Um, the preface, I'm going to actually use a, 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 a book that uh, I read on my Kindle this morning. Uh, it's an overview of John, Jonathan Edwards. If you, uh, if you ever read uh, books from the uh, 17th century, well, and the, well, actually he's 18th century, so, but 17th, 18th century, they have these really long titles, like 40 words. They're I love them. <laughs> and uh, so I just actually gave you some of the words from his title. Uh, it's it's a, a humble attempt to promote, to promote extraordinary prayer for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth according to scriptural promises and prophecies of the last times. And he basically lays out various verses that say, uh, what's going on in the church uh, in Europe, in America that day and during that time, which was called the Reformation and what the Great Awakening. What he, he wrote this right uh, in the middle of the Great Awakening to appeal to millions to join together in prayer because he's, he was saying, we don't really get it that this is just a drop in the bucket of what God wants to do. And he shows forth various prophecies, uh, most of which I already use on you all the time or speak to you all the time. I shouldn't say use on you, but whatever. Share with you all the time, uh, some of which uh, are unique to uh, Jonathan Edwards' perspective. But he basically is saying that in, it'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And that the kingdom is going to... is. The church is going to be restored to its full New Testament glory, and he gets it that they don't have that. And that that, that, that New Testament glorious church is going to have uh, manifestations, that is, temples, peoples of God, bodies of Christ, in every among every tribe and tongue and nation and locality on the whole planet. And he's basically appealing. This became a big movement right in the middle of the uh, Great Awakening, he, he wrote this, the Great Awakening was probably halfway through when he wrote this. And hundreds and hundreds of ministers throughout, uh, especially throughout Scotland, the colonies, England, uh, joined together to, to basically call their people to this uh, kind of prayer that they called extraordinary prayer that was basically expectations 
of what the Bible always says God's going to do. The total opposite of what our most expectations are today. And the, the reason that's important, the reason I'm going to take a time to, to re, I'm going to read quite a bit of the book to us. I, I went through and highlighted it today so I can just read all the highlights. So that message is ready to go. But um, the reason it's important is because if, if our, our expectations are too low, we'll be filled with unbelief. We won't be that on fire. We won't overcome the sins that so easily entangle us. Your hopes and expectations of what God wants to do through us, and you in particular as part of us, forget, forget you know, what he's going to do through the great church worldwide. It really has to get down to where you live in your heart. And if you really expect God to, to make you a... Uh, a demon-conquering, uh, evangelistically effective, prayer-effective, uh, moving in gifts of the Spirit individual, then you'll, then you'll sanctify yourself for that purpose. Jesus said in John 17, for this reason I sanctify myself. So I hope, I hope what's clear here is the reason I'm going to do this Jonathan Edwards thing is just to show you that this modern idea of low expectations and and very little, very little healings or miracles or very, you know, a few people praying a sinner's prayer so they can punch a ticket to heaven. And, you know, we're going to, you know, our, our vision is too small is all I really want to say. And that we, we will get what we, our vision is and we'll pray toward our vision and we'll live toward our vision. And you know, if you have the vision by how it's affecting your practical everyday Christianity. All right, so chapter one is going to be called Prayer, a Catalyst of Visitation. We'll define catalyst and we'll define visitation. Uh, you hear a lot of works, uh, words about revival, and revival is a biblical word, uh, depending on the translation. It does at times say revive us and so forth and revive this. But really what, you know what? The, the modern view of revival is a little bit like a roller coaster ride. And God doesn't want to, to give you uh, just a revival where you get re-refreshed once in a while. And most of us live there where we get filled with the Spirit again and worships, the church stirs us up and so forth. God wants you to become what I call an abodist, not an abodist, <laughs> but where his spirit abides in such a way that you're always a radical, that you're always on fire, that you can uh, say with Jehu, stand back and see my zeal for the Lord. Watch out, because as I ride on for God, somebody's going to get killed. Uh, hopefully you can spiritualize that to uh, demonic spirits and so forth. But, uh, um, God wants to birth something much bigger than what we're expecting. And if we start expecting it, we'll, we will be persevering in prayer because there's no birth without labor. And labor is intense. I hope you'll all have the, uh, the joy of uh, 
either having babies or at least uh, as the father uh, trying to do what little you can to comfort your wife as she's going through 30 hours of labor or whatever so you you can begin to understand uh, there's no birth without travail. And uh, prayer is the necessary prerequisite to, if you notice, I put a, a blank. But, you know, it's not the necessary prerequisite to evangelism in the sense of decisions, but to disciple-making, to real conversions, to deliverance, to uh, on, an on-fire church. And honestly, that has that this prayer thing is probably what stands between us and the vision God has for us. I hope you just heard what I said. This prayer thing is what stands between us as Grace Christian Fellowship and the vision that God has for us. And I've never seen a move of God that didn't have a lot of single people be the leaders that, that pray it through. So we're going to talk about what is God's will, what is a visitation, why do we need a visitation, and in what ways does his kingdom come. Chapter 2, we're going to look at keys to effective prayer. As we already said, James 5.16, the implication thereof is that there is effective prayer and ineffective prayer, right? Now, how many people would like to sign up for Let's see, three or four prayer meetings a week, five prayer meetings a week. So you're maybe five hours investment times uh, 52 weeks, miss, miss a couple. So 250 hours a year of ineffective prayer. Let's pass, pass around a clipboard to see who, who wants to sign up for that. Right? Yet we don't really want to study the Bible thoroughly enough to answer that question. That's just one of many questions that a full study of the Bible will start to open up to you. There's effective prayer and there's ineffective prayer. And there's prayer meanings that seem very effective, but really what you have to look at is results. And there actually is a place of favor, both individually and corporately, where God honors you by answering more of your prayers. Because your, the desires of your heart are more lined up with the desires of his heart. And we all have these very low ideas of what his desires for his heart is. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He said, said I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Right? Uh, he came to make disciples in all nations, of all nations teaching them everything that came out of his ways. So what are the prerequisites for effective prayer? Is it, just, is it a style issue? God's no respecter of persons. We'll look at that. So that means if that any person who sets themselves apart to God can become a person like Elijah whose prayers are answered in powerful ways. Now, I personally think, uh, it's kind of a funny word to use when, to make the comment I'm about to say, is that part of the issue is that, that the God wants to work through the body of Christ. 
So that what we need is a people group who set themselves in apart in such a way that God is willing to hear their cries and answer their prayers. And there certainly is all through the scripture signs of people who are more blessed of God in that way and less blessed. And I'm not preaching works, as we'll see, but the grace of God desires to take you there. Can we see miracles regularly? Well, if so, what's the price to pay? What is there a price to pay and how do we pay it? Chapter three is going to be called Five Types of Prayer. And we're going to look at number one, scripture as prayer. There's a reason Paul said to Timothy, give attention to the public reading of scripture. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So whether you read it, whether you hear it read on uh, Sundays as we give attention to the public reading of scripture, whether you listen to it, one of the things I've been doing a lot lately is uh, just listening to uh, to the scripture uh, so that I force myself to keep at least moving through it as fast as the readers go. And that especially works well for me with the historical books of the Old Testament and stuff like that. You know, in an hour or two, you can get 10 or 11 chapters in, even if you stop 10 or 15 times to look up extra verses and stuff, which I can never avoid that temptation. But you can still knock out 10 or so chapters in an hour as long as you don't cross-reference for the whole hour. <laughs> but uh, um, Scripture is, Jesus said this. He said, the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. You know what I hate when I hear, when I hear people say a lot in their relationships, oh, just kidding, just kidding. Why? Because that's kind of an old-fashioned, passive-aggressive way to, to say things that are hurtful and digging and so forth, right? The mouth does speak out of the abundance that fills the heart. So don't just change, try to, try to manage what comes out of your mouth better. Watch over your heart, the Bible says, with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Get a heart transplant. Every day, create in me a clean heart, Psalm 5110. You, you know, God, every day, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. So every day you need a heart transplant. So as you take that into consideration, Scripture is 2,000 years of what God's heart had to say to us. You, If you stand in church and you go, oh, I love you, Jesus, and I just love to worship, and I'm so glad I'm filled with your spirit, and you don't read his Bible, you're lying or deceived, which is kind of the same. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll be truly my disciples. So if you're not abiding in his word, then you're falsely his disciple. You know, get some discipline of what I try to encourage you at a, at a minimum. You, when you have your, like, if you're a student, and so there's a lot of students in this room, a uh, few, few that aren't, but a few that are, um, if you're a student, you've got Christmas breaks, summer breaks, Easter break, whatever. Try to read one, two, or three hours of Scripture during those days 
and then two, three, four hours of script uh, books, and especially the kinds of books that will that will help your paradigms for how to interpret scripture. That's what we really try to put on our recommended foundational and intermediate books, not just books, but books that'll help you know how to study scripture more and get some of the main themes and the main points. Okay? That's really important. That's one way you pray, is to read the Word of God. That will set you free from thinking God's saying all kind of weird things. You know what? If you have a problem with condemnation, well, read the Bible over and over and get steeped in the grace of God. So that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 is not just a verse you have memorized, but you have you, you get the whole point of why it comes in Romans 8.1 because it's right in the middle of an, of an argument. And you understand the whole argument, and, and it's a way of life for you. Uh, second kind of prayer is praise and worship. Praise and worship, we'll talk about the difference between praise and worship. I don't have enough time tonight. Um, but Ecclesiastes 5 says to draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The reason historically in the New, New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, uh, the charismatic movement since the 60s, the reason that many prophecies come forth uh, in small group worship meetings and Friday night worship meetings and that kind of thing is because that you when, when you worship, you journey into the Holy of Holies. We're going to talk about that. And when you do, you, God wants to speak to you. And he wants you to grow, and there's going to be a gap between what he speaks and the impressions you get and how, uh, how pure of a heart and life you have, so of your ability to express it and all that. And he wants that gap to, to continually be better, be less, so that you, the impressions of the Holy Spirit you can say with the effect he wants you to say, with the anointing he wants you to use, with the words he wants you to choose at the right timing of when he wants you to say it. But you got to step out and start doing it if you're going to get there. Uh, pet petitions is a type of prayer, which most prayer is, is petitions, though it not ought to be. Petitions is giving God a list of what you want him to do. Now, the Bible says that if we ask things according to his will, then he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have. So there's, there is a place for petitions. We'll look at lots of verses about petitions. They need to be accompanied with thanksgivings to release faith. But there are only one type of prayer. The fourth type of prayer is intercession. Now, most of us talk, use, throw that word, but we've never studied thoroughly what an intercession is. Intercession has effect, you know, effective intercession principles that include identifying with the sinner, confessing our sins, um, reminding God of his covenantal promises and purposes to restore the whole earth and, 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 and the, fill, the earth with God's glory, and all these kinds of things. 
Intercession is a, a most effective type of prayer if you learn all the principles of intercession. We'll look at some of the great intercessors of the Bible, uh, especially Abraham, Nehemiah, Ezra, and so forth. Somewhere on this sheet, there's a few of those listed. So, and then lastly is spiritual warfare. Uh, we'll talk about the difference between a good offense and spiritual warfare and a good defense and We'll talk about the reality of spiritual warfare, the geography of spiritual warfare. In other words, where is the spiritual warfare happening? Happens in three distinct types of geographies and the legalities of spiritual warfare. You need to know you need to know Christ's victory and the legalities thereof in order to press his victory. You know, after uh, after D-Day, the rest of the rest of World War II was really a mop-up operation in Europe. However, just like the, after the resurrection and ascension and the outpouring of the, the Holy Spirit, the church is supposed to be expanding, 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 bringing the kingdom to all the earth. However, it was very important still to not wear German uh, soldiers' outfits, unless you were on some kind of reconnaissance mission or something. You know, it was important that the armies had the right army and the point is in spiritual warfare is there are legalities to uh to the spiritual warfare we in spiritual warfare this is very important we want to progressively win not some people win too quickly and then they can't manage long term what uh what they've conquered so it's important that you build wisely. Like what we need is that Rock Campus Fellowship, be, as we disciple different individuals, Jesus said, Satan comes, but he has nothing in me. We actually need the, an army of people to develop that know how to worship, know how to walk in the, in the spirit, know how to walk holy, know how to do spiritual warfare, and know how to not get picked off and fall back and so forth. And you can't advance much until you get people past certain kinds of things where, again, Jesus said, the ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. We want to gradually expand our ministries at this school here and then eventually at Kemp School and in, in these neighborhoods. And at Rock Campus Fellowship, we want Rock Campus Fellowship to grow from a handful of people to 30 or so people, but not at the price of what most ministries do, where you end up with 30 immature people who don't know the Bible that well. And they don't have that much, you know, they can't disciple anybody because they're not really qualified to do so. A lot of groups have discipleship groups and so forth, but how qualified are the disciplers? in comparison to the qualifications of the disciples in the New Testament. Now, all that's part of wise spiritual warfare. You, you, can, you, can expand, you can build spiritual warfare on a person to the degree that they've learned how to walk in the light, confess their sins, get delivered from darkness, build Christ-like char character, been catechized in all the essentials of the faith, and so forth. You, you have to build wisely. Like Paul said, as a wise master builder, I built. So uh, chapter 4, prayer and proclamation. That's a quick one, a time to pray and a time to say. Many churches have a lot of prayer, 
but they haven't really discipled the people in, in how to go out and proclaim the gospel and make disciples. It's, it's, it's useless to have prayer meetings, prayer meetings, prayer meetings, if we're not also growing in how much we're equipped to, to proclaim the kingdom and, and, and so forth. Does that make sense? Hopefully you understand that. There's a time for prayer and a time to share. And uh, uh, you've got to be doing both. Lots of groups uh, settle for lots of prayer because it's not that scary if you're, you're just praying with the brothers and sisters who already love each other and so forth. And maybe you're binding some spirits, and but most people don't really think that deeply about what the possible backlash implications of that is. But going out and proclaiming the kingdom, that takes some guts. Fifthly, Jesus on prayer. We're going to look at his, not just his teachings on prayer, but first of all, his example of prayer, because he's always our model. We're going to look at the principles he practiced, and we're going to do uh, at least one message on the Lord's prayer model, seven principles, priorities, and patterns out of the Lord's prayer. Uh, we're going to look at Luke 11 and Luke 18, Jesus' teachings on perseverance in prayer. And uh, we're going to look at his high priestly prayer in uh, John 17. Those will all be separate messages, so it'll probably be at least five or so weeks on Jesus on prayer. Now, um, chapter 6, the place of prayer in the book of Acts. We're going to look at uh, how they birth things through prayer, the frequency of their prayer, the intensity, uh, the perseverance, the themes they prayed how they prayed for in, when major steps of guidance, like sending out apostles, and how they prayed for empowerment. And uh, we're going to basically learn uh, as we do the book of Acts what, it, you know, it, everyone shortens everyone's name. You know, like if you're, uh, you know, Church of the Redeemer, people are going to say, are you going to Redeemer this week, or have you have you listened to that last message from Redeemer? Uh, so what happens is the Book of Acts. That's a great short version. People say Acts, but really, what Acts is is the ongoing ministry of the Ascended Lord Jesus Christ via or in because of and through the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through the early church and the continuing of his ministry to bring the kingdom of God to all the earth. That's the real title of the book of Acts. <laughs> so we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, we're going to look at Paul on prayer, his example, and his teaching and his prevalent themes. Uh, Paul has an amazing example first of prayer. Uh we're going to look at the issue of speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit, when to speak in tongues and when to not speak in tongues. Uh, you know, if there are people who are not familiar with speaking in tongues, it's perfectly fine not to speak in tongues at a prayer meeting, and you, in fact, should do that. But speaking in tongues has great, uh, powerful prayer benefits that we're going to look at and should be used uh, whenever possible. So... Um, Last, then lastly, chapter 9, we're going to look at how fasting intensifies prayer, both individually and corporately, how it helps you with both your defense and your offense. We'll look at the example and teaching of Jesus on fasting, the book of Acts and Paul on fasting. 
the necessity and humbly of inflicting our soul with fasting. Now that's a, that's something that you don't hear a lot about, but you, there is a way to afflict your soul and your soul needs afflicted. We live in a time where most people don't have much steel in their soul and that most people's aren't very tough. And, uh, you know, uh, you've got to use fasting as one of the tools to toughen yourself up. Uh, we, we have raised a nation of wimps. Uh, we haven't faced a war or any financial hardships or, or you know, for, in, in a long time. We need soldiers. And, uh, you know, there's a reason you have to go through boot camp and a lot of other things if you're going to become a Marine. And if you're going to become an effective Christian, you're going to have to get, you know, graduate from a boy to a man, uh, from, from a girl to a woman, and you're going to have to be uh, emotionally tough, spiritually tough, relationally tough. You're, you're going to have to grow up a little. And fasting is a great way to afflict your soul and help yourself grow into manhood, so to speak. We're going to look at Isaiah 58, seven conditions of in 10 promises, we're going to look at types of fast, and we're, and we're going to probably spend a long time, maybe 10 weeks, on great fast of the Bible. Um, and then Appendix 1 is uh, basically on building spiritual strength. Just like in the natural, you can build strength uh, through good nutrition, exercise, and rest. And anyone who knows much about exercising knows that it's not just important to work out certain muscle groups, but it's it, the rest of them the day between and, and, and work them out every other day. And so on your off days, you work different muscle groups in different ways and so forth and getting plenty of sleep. And, you know, it makes a big difference if you're going to eat lean proteins and green vegetables and that kind of stuff versus whether you're going to, after your workout, you're going to go ahead and have a, a milkshake, a pop tart, and a popsicle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that's probably not going to get you the kind of results you want. Uh, just like you can choose all kinds of levels of physical strength, and the Bible does say that physical strength only has limited value because it it holds only value for this life. Uh, you can you can choose what level of spiritual strength and power of the Holy Spirit you live in. But you've got to do the, you know, you uh, you can't just uh, decide, well, I'm going to be this buff Mr. Olympic guy and everything like that and continue to sit in front of the TV and pop open beer cans and, and order pizza and, and in the mornings eat donuts. Why all the time you have these pictures of how like buff you're going to be. <laughs> That's not going to work, right? And it's the same thing with building spiritual strength. You can really walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it takes a certain kind of diet. It takes a certain kind of uh, disciplines. It takes the right nutrition and the right rest and the right exercise. So we will look at that at some point in Appendix 1.